of each student on the first day and scrawl their first names on each one. Now, I keep this stack of photos in my pocket and shuffle through it when I need to. When I ask them for writing assignments, which is rarely, I never want more than one single page of clear and concise prose. I could care less about their grades. I give almost all of them A's. Instead, I teach them skills that have little to do with academics or test scores. Among other things, I teach them new ways to think about money and investing, how to present their ideas verbally, how to talk with people from authority figures to each other. To this end, I run an exercise to teach them one of the hardest things in the world to learn, harder than calculus, harder than economic theory, harder than fixing a photocopier. Peter, I say, picking a student at random, isn't there a lovely young woman in this class you'd like to ask out for Saturday night? Nervous laughter spreads across the room. People start looking at each other or down at their shoes. They're thinking, this is a world economics class? Yes, it is. You want me to just ask somebody out? Peter asks, incredulous. We've gotten to know each other over the past couple of classes. Now he looks at me as though I've gone insane. I am accustomed to getting this sort of reaction in life. I give him back an equally incredulous look. You mean you wouldn't want to go out with one of these lovely ladies? Peter, this is your chance. Okay, Peter says, looking across at Wendy. With a toss of the head, he says, Hey, what are you doing Wednesday night? Very cool. No, 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 I say. I wave my hands in the air like a conductor. Ask her nicely, nicely. Be polite. Have you ever noticed that kids these days really don't know how to talk to each other? Peter begins again. He sits up a little straighter. He looks her in the eye. Wendy, he begins making eye contact. Would you like to go out with me Wednesday night? Now this is a different kid entirely, both polite and courageous. Now Wendy is embarrassed. It turns out she has a boyfriend. I ask her if she knows what she's passing up. She murmurs something and looks down. But Peter isn't off the hook. I get him to ask somebody else. This time Carol, shyly, says yes. I pull out a crumpled wad of bills from my pocket and give Peter some money, because most college kids are always pretty poor. Where are you going to go? I ask him. He hasn't thought this far ahead. Maybe Palazzo, he ventures. Oh, that's a great place, I tell him. I get this pair to settle on the hour they will meet on Wednesday. By this time, there's a lot of laughter. Believe me, no one is bored. 7 p.m., I confirm. Great. Maybe I'll come, I say. I'll see you there. Now, I've never turned up, but I like them to think I might. Next week, I find out how the date went. Maybe I get another pair or two in class set up on dates. Sometimes the students keep dating each other, sometimes they don't. But the point is, they get a chance to learn how to talk to each other. They get to see someone navigate rejection and survive it. They get to see someone asking for something he wants or needs from another person. Sometimes, that's all we need to learn to do in life. The truth is that most of the boys are dying to ask out one of the girls, and most of the girls have an eye on one of the boys. Even if they're straight-A students, speed readers, and star athletes, they're scared half to death of putting themselves 
on the line. They need a push. This is one of the greatest lessons I learned from my own struggles, from my dyslexia, my restlessness, and what others call my ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I dislike using the term deficit. I don't think it is one. Doing life alone is not second best. It's impossible. We need other people. We need to know how to talk with them, argue with them, build with them, and introduce ourselves to them. We need a push. It's funny to think that human beings forget this fact, especially the straight-A types. At Kinko's, I was a tireless matchmaker among the ranks of our co-workers. I constantly urged people to fall in love and marry each other. I believed in it, and I still do. Hundreds of our partners, managers, and co-workers were married to each other. I'm very proud of the fact that at one point before I left the company, I discovered that among our 200 top people, we had only seven divorces. Many of our customers used Kinko's as a dating service as well. Thousands of them got married after meeting each other over our copy machines. I knew our co-workers would be stronger in teams than on their own. It's possible to go all the way through your schooling years without learning this. Given the cards I drew at birth, I never had the chance to forget, not even for a moment. This is only one of the many gifts of my disorders all of which contributed enormously to the building of both Kinko's and of my life. They propelled me to think differently. They forced me to rely on other people. I was prevented from taking inspiration from books. I had to learn from the world itself directly. I had to rely on my own eyes, a skill not enough people make use of these days. My disabilities enabled me to focus on the big picture at Kinko's, something I call being on your business instead of in it. My friend, Tom O'Malia, former head of the Center for the Study of Entrepreneurship at the University of Southern California, taught me this concept. He told me that too many people are mired in the details of their lives. They are stuck down in their lives rather than staying on them. They miss the larger picture. They don't face the uncomfortable questions that, once posed, can force dramatic and necessary change. My dad had a saying for this. He would tell me the mundane is like a cancer. He meant that all the busy work of your life prevents you from actually living. Taking care of business. Running a company in a world full of readers was, well, an interesting experience. I certainly didn't behave like other executives. If you opened the drawers and filing cabinets of my office, you would have seen nothing. I didn't keep paperwork, files, a pen, or a computer. For what? As a non-reader, I wouldn't be using them much. In a way, the office was just for show because I didn't like spending time there. I didn't like sitting around and reading long, novelistic reports. I didn't get caught up in the minutia of meeting minutes. I'd rather stick pins in my eyes than sit through a board meeting. Coworkers helped with my written correspondence. I was so avid about staying on my business that I was maniacal, fanatical about responding to my mail the same day I got it. My longtime colleague, C.C. Fredrickson, learned to write my letters based on our brief conversations. You figure out how to say it, I'd tell her. Later, her husband, Dan Fredrickson, the president of Kinko's, also helped write correspondence for me, too. My office was empty because I had an inbox and an outbox, but no storage box in between. I took care of business the same day it landed on my desk. 
Though I couldn't avoid some writing, most vital communications were transmitted verbally by voicemail or in person. When I was with Kinko's, we were an oral company, a verbal company. My restlessness propelled me out of doors. How many managers do you know who really understand what is happening at the front lines of their business? I did. I visited stores to find out what our different locations were doing right. Anybody can sit around in an office thinking about what people are doing wrong. My job was to get out and find out what people were doing right and exploit it. Then I tried to spread those practices throughout the Kinko's network. My high school degree in woodshop belies the fact that I also have no mechanical ability to speak of. There isn't a machine at Kinko's I can operate. I could barely run the first copier released back in 1970. It didn't matter. All I knew was I could sell what came out of it. From day one at Kinko's, I relied on others to operate those machines, to run the store, to come up with groundbreaking new ideas, to expand our business, and to keep me and everybody else constantly inspired. The same is true today. I rely on others to run our real estate ventures, our investments, and our philanthropic endeavors. You're right if you're wondering whether or not I wrote these words you're reading. As with every other undertaking in my life, I relied on someone else. In this case, my co-author, Anne Marsh. Too many people think they have to do life on their own. But I've found the best way to live is to share the burdens, as well as the joys with others. My motto has always been, anybody else can do it better. With my lot in life, do you think I had any other choice of attitude? I was forced to trust the world and to trust other people. With my skill set, I certainly couldn't have built Kinko's alone. My racing, jumping mind, my inability to sit still, my difficulty reading.